0: Good morning everybody, good morning online, and if there are any brave souls in the wintry mix outside, good morning. Uh, Man, I I love this time of year, I love uh, kicking off this season of Advent, and uh, it was fun hearing Jeff talk about the different things that we have available to us, the resources uh, online and things that you can do at home and actually each week we'll be giving you some things that you can do uh, as a household or with your family, uh, with friends, uh, whatever. I, I want to encourage you as we go into Advent, you know, so much of our, even our church culture is sort of oriented to uh, observe, to be a spectator, to kind of watch the show and what we want to encourage you to do is to participate to get involved in every way that you can. So uh, we really, truly do hope that you'll do that. we, We trust, I mean, it's funny, Advent is about expectation. It's about anticipation, thinking of an arrival, right? So it's this posture, and we hope that you'll have that posture. We certainly do as leadership. We're expecting God to do big things in our midst, um, so we want to we want to encourage you to jump in there and uh, really engage this season for all it's worth. Even today, you're going to have an opportunity. At the end of the service, we're going to have a little season of prayer where our elders are going to pray in real time, just immediately. You're going to have an opportunity to text in a request, and we're just going to pray together as a community of faith as we walk into this season together. So uh, I hope that you'll participate with us in, uh, in that time. So uh, I think uh, Kevin just prayed um, and thinking about this idea of days getting darker, I'm sure you've noticed that's why we set our clocks back to try and capture a little more daylight if we can. Um, there's this thing called the solstice. You may know about this or may not, but um, two times of the year, the sun... Uh, reaches these kind of places in orientation to the earth where the days are longest and days are shortest. And obviously, our days are getting shorter and shorter. And uh, near the end of December, we'll have the shortest day of the year. That's called the winter solstice. And uh, it'll be 9 hours and 44 minutes long, just in case you're checking. Uh, In June, that's the summer solstice, Um, the days can get as long as 14 and a half hours. So quite a big difference between those two. Now, when you think about the winter solstice and you think about this time of year, how many of you just kind of grieve the darkness? Anybody in here, it just feels heavy, you kind of feel bluish a little bit? Well, that's been going on for all of history, and it reminded me, there was, I had this album, I'm going to go way back now, like centuries. Uh, 1987, my favorite album, one of my favorite albums got, was Whistling in the Dark, Brian Duncan. If anybody in here knows that guy, glory to God. Um, uh, anyway, he sang this song about whistling in the dark. And his, the idea was he was trusting that God wouldn't leave him in the darkness just sort of whistling and hoping for the best. He needed God to move into that darkness with him and give him light, give him faith, understanding, perspective, insight. And uh, so I I thought about us moving into this moment, this season of darkness, and um, we don't want to be whistling in the dark. But that's really what the world has been doing all along. If we go all the way back to the first century, um. The Romans kind of to deal with the darkness, they had a festival. It's like, well, if it's dark real long, just have a party. So they had a festival that was for a god called Saul, Saul Invictus. Here's a picture of him. He was the sun god and what happens after that winter solstice is the days begin to grow longer and so this festival was to the unconquerable sun sun the sun god could not be conquered and the, this this uh, god was often depicted riding uh, in his chariot pulled by four horses across the horizon. And of course, it happens day after day after day. So they would worship this God that they created to give them confidence in the darkness. Now, isn't it interesting that the early church, this would have been around the fourth century or so, they adopted that day of winter solstice and made it a day to celebrate the birth of the unconquerable sun, S-O-N. And they began to view the light of the world as reason for celebration at a time when the world was celebrating just its own God that it made up all by itself. So as we go into this season of Advent, that's what we want to do. We want to celebrate the unconquerable sun, S-O-N, and the coming of light Into our darkness. Now, humanity has had a love hate relationship with darkness throughout all of history, and maybe you can relate to this. And whether it's, uh, you know, in Isaiah's day, which we're gonna look at in a moment, or that first century when Christ arrived, or even in 2020, uh, we have this love hate relationship. Many love the darkness for its concealing properties. And we're going to read about that in just a second. But then also there is this part of darkness that makes us feel vulnerable, doesn't it? Like who likes to just sit around in the dark? So it's a love-hate relationship. I'll start with the love side. Uh, John 3, 19 through 21 says this, and this is the judgment. The light has come into the world and people loved the darkness rather than the light. Now, why would they do that? he goes on to say, because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light lest his works should be exposed. So there's something in us that naturally likes the concealing properties of darkness. It got so bad in the book of Judges it was uh, written in uh, chapter twenty-one, twenty-five. In those days, there was no king in Israel. So this is a, a, low, a low season in Israel's history. And here's the key phrase. Everyone did what was right in their own eyes. That's living in the darkness. That's pretending as if there is no light. And we can do just whatever we want to. Um, I'm reading a couple of really interesting books right now by a guy named Mark Sayers. He's an Australian pastor. One of them is called The Disappearing Church and the other is called The Reappearing Church. Fascinating observations about the church and about humanity. And he talks about us being in a post-Christian era. And he, he makes very clear that that doesn't mean that it's like before Christian era or pre-Christian. It means literally it is a culture, a world that imagines a day where we can experience the best any of us could imagine, but without God. It's post-Christian. He says this, in the post-Christian vision, progress replaces God's presence as the engine of history. Now, think, think back with me to the Enlightenment. What was that all about? It was celebrating the progress of humanity. And we began to believe as a global people that we were smart enough to sort out all of the darkness that we saw around us, that we could figure it out scientifically, philosophically, that we could make our own way, that we didn't need any assistance from a creator of any kind. It's interesting. That was in the 1700s. We had two world wars one in 1914 for four years and then the second in 1939 for six years. A lot of darkness 200 years after a day when we thought we really had it going on. We had it all figured out. We were whistling in the dark, trying to find our way. Mark Sayers goes on to say, a secular, uh, this secularist coup is accomplished not by a frontal assault upon theology, but by a practical atheism that offers the fruit of shalom or peace, minus the tree of biblical faith that bore it. So we thought we could create our own peace, our own light, without the one who provided it for us. Um, So while many use darkness to hide... We recognize that's just one side of the coin. On the other side of the coin, um, darkness makes us feel vulnerable. Don't all of us sort of start life with a fear, being afraid of the dark? I wonder how many of you had one of these in your room as a child growing up. Anybody in here? A few of you? Okay, I'm not going to ask how many of you still have one of those in your room. Um, but when I think about the vulnerability of darkness, I flash back to my childhood and one very particular experience. Uh, when I would lay down at my bed at night, I could see up against the wall my little night light right there, and it truly did, I was, I was really scared of the dark in a bad way. And so I would see my little light and it just sort of helped me calm down and go to sleep. So one night I climb into my bed and I'm looking down there and something is in the way. And I'm thinking, well, maybe my clo- maybe I got a bunch of clothes piled up in front of it or something. So I'm just like, well, I want to see my nightlight. So I climb out of bed and I make my way. I'm probably kindergarten-ish. Make my way over there and I reach down to move that. And all of a sudden it goes, oh ah! My dad... Somehow thought it would be really funny to lay in front of my nightlight and scare me to death. I was terrified for years. Um, man, that that'll make you feel vulnerable, right? Like you just never know what you're going to run into in the dark. But now here's the reality. Our greatest vulnerability is not physical, it's spiritual. And that's the darkness that we really need to think about and need to talk about as we make our way into Advent. Um, Our problem, I think, is what I'll just call a spiritual malaise. So when we are presented with the idea of a spiritual darkness, we look around and we see sunshine and we see pretty lights and decorations and gifts and all that kind of stuff, and it just sort of covers the darkness. But make no mistake, it's, it's definitely there. And we are in our, most, our greatest danger when we have a lack of awareness or a, a low regard for that darkness let me mention a couple of things to you first john 5:19 says the whole world lies in the power of the evil one that's every second every minute every hour of every day of every year there's never a moment when the evil one isn't at work opposing everything that has to do with God. That's darkness. Ephesians 6.12 says, We do not wrestle against flesh and blood, although, goodness gracious, don't we exert a lot of effort there? We wrestle against rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present Darkness against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. We live in a world at war with God. Battle is always going on around us. Whether we realize it or not, see it or not, recognize it or not, it's happening all of the time. And if we don't wrestle well against this present darkness, it will inevitably begin to shape how we think, how we relate, how we live. It'll relate to all of that. We'll come to resemble the darkness over time. There are so many warnings in our New Testament against resisting the darkness of the world around those early Christians. And the same is true for us today. So what does it look like? What does this darkness look like in reality, day in and day out? Romans 1, just write that down somewhere. Great, great place to get a description of this. And I'm going to summarize that chapter with four words. First of all, insurrection. Darkness looks like insurrection. Uh, we're told that humanity suppressed the truth and suppresses the truth. They exchange the truth about God for a lie. It's sort of like worshiping A sun god, because that somehow feels better than worshiping a creator god who made the sun. Insurrection, suppressing the truth. Secondly, idolatry, worshiping and serving the creator rather than, or the creature rather than the creator. It's holding people and things in higher esteem than the one who made it all. It looks like immorality. And, you know, honestly, when we hear the word immorality, I would guess most of us just immediately go to sexual immorality. And I get that. I understand that. We are surrounded and bombarded by sexual uh, imagery and content and everything else. But immorality is honestly a perversion of any good gift that God has given his people. So that can take place in any sorts of realms, not just in the sexual. Moral, morality, it's anything that is either aligned with or unaligned with God's will, God's purposes, God's decree, God's word. So that is an expression, a vast expression of darkness, immorality. And then finally, indifference. And man, if we weren't confronted with this last week, Disregard for the needs of the defenseless. God over and over again in his word where he reveals his heart in his ways. He has a heart for the orphan, the widow, the stranger. Those who can't defend themselves. Darkness says, too bad for them. Survival of the fittest. And nothing could be more opposed to the heart of God than that. So darkness looks like insurrection, idolatry, immorality, and indifference. And those aren't just legalistic words that's um, kind of promoted by an uptight church. That's what God's Word says in Romans 1. That's what it looks like. So we want to wrestle well, as Paul exhorted in Ephesians 6.12, and to do that, in this season, we're going to embrace this idea of Advent, this idea of anticipation, expectation for an arrival of light in the darkness. Now, it's a, it's a heavy time. It, there's some real gravity to this season because we are talking about darkness. Uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer says this, the celebration of Advent is possible only to those who are troubled in soul. That kind of surprised me when I first read it. But he goes on to explain it's those who know themselves to be poor and imperfect and who look forward to something greater to come. So we don't look around us at little glimmers of light and say, I'm just going to be content with that. No, there's a much greater future, a greater light that awaits us someday that God's promised. That's what we're looking toward. Those little glimmers, all they do is tell us it's coming. But we're not meant to stay here. We're not meant to live in that long term. Now... um, This idea of Advent is obviously anticipating the arrival of the Messiah. So in Old Testament, they were looking forward to the arrival. In the New Testament, we hear about Christ's incarnation where he actually shows up on the scene in flesh and blood. We have his death, burial, and resurrection, a finished book, the Bible, pointing us backward to remember God's promise-keeping. And then it points us forward to another day when light will come once again, but once and for all, and all things will be made new. So all in all, Advent is a time of preparation and anticipation. It's four Sundays beginning this Sunday and carrying through up to December 25th, Christmas Day. We will have a Christmas Eve service, by the way, so hope that you'll join us for that. But as the days grow increasingly dark, we're going to gather together and remind each other of what true light is. Week after week after week. And hopefully you won't just experience that on Sundays. Hopefully you'll think about that again and again throughout the week with devotional resources. We're going to go through a series that we're calling again The Birthday of the Unconquerable Sun. And uh, we're going to look at four things that are coming, according to the text. A coming light, a coming child, a coming kingdom, and a coming peace. A coming light, a coming child, a coming kingdom, and a coming peace. So uh, this is our Advent wreath, and this Sunday we're going to focus on if I can get a little flame going here, there we go. On uh, the gift or the theme of love. And if you think about it, um, kind of in contrast to my childhood story of having the light obscured, um, God in His goodness, in the midst of our darkness, loved us so much that He would send light. So that we could find our way. So how loving is that? What a beautiful picture of the heart of God for his people. So that's where we're going today. Throughout this series, we're going to be working with Isaiah 9, 1 through 7. This is a a classic Advent passage. And we're going to return to it all four weeks. But we're going to highlight a different part of it. This morning, I'm going to read through all of it. And then we'll make our way through the first section but if you if you do have your bible grab it and uh, i'm just going to read the first seven verses but there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish in the former time he brought into contempt the land of zebulun and the land of naphtali but in the later time he has made glorious the way of the sea the land beyond the jordan galilee of the nations Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. That is our passage that we're going to work through And as always, we don't ever study a passage that doesn't have a context, like what comes before it, what comes after it, and it's related to both. So we want to understand this passage in its context. Uh, Verse 1 of chapter 9 is really a transition. It's preparing the reader to shift from the darkness of the preceding passage into the hope and light of this passage. So I actually want to go back and I want to read Isaiah 8, 16 through 22, just to give us some context for why this light is so important to these people. And I'm reading, by the way, out of uh, the Christian Standard Bible, CSB. I just really like the way they uh, translated this particular passage. But here we go, beginning in verse 16. Isaiah writes, "...bind up the testimony, seal up the instruction among my disciples." I will wait for the Lord. There's that idea of waiting. Who is hiding his face from the house of Jacob. I will wait for him. Here I am with the children the Lord has given me to be signs and wonders in Israel from the Lord of armies who dwells on Mount Zion. When they say to you, inquire of the mediums and the spiritists who chirp and mutter, Or we could say, when they call you to gaze upon the Sol Invictus, the sun god, shouldn't a people inquire of their god or of the god? Should they inquire of the dead on behalf of the living? Verse 20, go to God's instruction and testimony. If they do not speak according to his word, there will be no dawn for them. They will wander through the land, dejected and hungry. When they are famished, they will become enraged, and looking upward will curse their king and their God. They will look toward the earth and see only distress, darkness, and the gloom of affliction, and they will be driven into thick darkness. That is the warning of God. Through his prophet Isaiah, which Israel received again and again and again. And simply God's saying, you know, I'm I'm setting before you today life and death, light and darkness. Which do you want? If you go after your own way, you are destined for distress, gloom, and darkness. That's what's going to happen. That's the only way that that path will lead. But there's another way. There is a way of light. Now, shortly after Isaiah (laughs) writes and proclaims those words to the people of Israel, they choose to go their own way. They choose to worship other gods. They choose to chase after darkness. And what Isaiah says is what comes to pass. There's an invasion. There's actually a couple of them. There's captivity for God's people, which they were never supposed to experience. And then lastly, there is silence. In 734 and 722 BC, the northern kingdom of Israel falls to the Assyrian empire. They are invaded and made captive, and sent away. Then in 586 B.C., the Babylonian captivity, they came in and took Judah, the southern uh, part of Israel. They went into a long captivity. And then shortly after that, there is what's considered the intertestamental period, which is 400 years of revelational silence. So you have Malachi, about 400 years Before the arrival of Christ. And there's no revelation from our Old Testament in those four centuries. So imagine. Think about darkness. Think about the absence of light. The absence of wisdom and knowledge and understanding given by God to his people. It's like he said, if you want darkness, I'm going to let you have it. And my hope is that by giving you that, you will once again crave light. So now fast forward. That's not the end of the story. We go forward into the arrival of Christ, which is anticipated by chapter 9 in Isaiah. And we see Isaiah and God speaking through his prophet, taking them from gloom to glory. From darkness to light, and, and this will help us as we look at verse 1 with that backdrop of what happened to Israel. Now read verse 1 with me again. But there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. In the former time, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the latter time, he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan. Galilee of the nations. Now, it's interesting. I've got a map for you to see uh, Palestine, this whole region where all of the 12 tribes settled. And if you look to your right, you can see uh, Zebulun and Naphtali. Those in particular didn't fall. All of northern Israel fell to the Assyrians. But Isaiah... And keep in mind, this is long before it actually happens, but those two regions and everything around it, that's right where the Assyrians came in and took over northern Israel. That's exactly where they fell. The northern part of Galilee, that area was the first to be humbled by a foreign military force. And I think it it would have been reasonable to understand as long as Israel was faithful to God, nobody would be able to take them. But yet they went their own way and they experienced God's discipline. Specifically, you can write down 2 Kings 15, 29. Here's a description of the contempt that God brought to his people. In the days of Pekah, king of Israel... Tiglath-Pileser, king of Assyria, came and captured Ejon, Abel, Beth, Maka'ah, Genoa, Kadesh, Hazor, Gilead, and Galilee, all the land of Naphtali, and he carried people captive to Assyria. It went down exactly like God told them it would if they chose darkness over light. And then from a former time of contempt, Isaiah tells them that God determined a latter time of glory. And the glory shows up in the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, and the Galilee of the nations. Guess where that is? That's northern Israel. One of the greatest trade routes came right down through Zebulun and Naphtali. And it was called the way of the sea. The land beyond the Jordan, that's up in that northern region, and the Galilee of the nations, also called the Galilee of the Gentiles, that whole region was considered, from a biblical perspective, the darkest place on earth. And Isaiah says, Light is going to land right in the middle of it. And guess where Jesus spent most of his life? In Galilee. The light lands right in the middle of the darkness. So, Isaiah goes on to say in verse 2, The people who walked in darkness, who lived in that realm, in that culture, in that situation, those people have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them the light has shone. Keep in mind, these are Isaiah's words 700 years before the birth of Christ. And he's telling them, Israel, the day's going to come when light will shine in the darkness. It is interesting that um, the, the verbal tenses in this statement are made as if they've already happened. They're past tenses, but they're called prophetic, perfect tenses so it says, the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light, as if it already happened. But it hasn't happened for 700 years. That's the certainty of biblical prophecy. Now, let's look forward to this arrival that Isaiah is speaking of. Keep in mind, again, we had invasion, captivity, and revelational silence, right? Now fast forward, we already studied this passage months and months and months ago, but in Luke 1, you guys remember the priest Zechariah who went in to serve at the temple one day and an angel came to him and said, your son is going to precede the light. And Zechariah couldn't really believe him. And so what what happened to him? he went mute. That's exactly right. He lost his voice. There was silence. Zechariah becomes the illustration of Israel in this 400 years where God's voice was silent. And then he comes out and follows the orders of God in terms of naming their son, and he gets his voice back says his mouth was opened and his tongue was loosed. And here's what he said. Listen to these words. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. As he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old, maybe Isaiah, That we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us. And now, looking back for us in 2020, we need to know that those enemies weren't just literal, physical, national. But most importantly, those were spiritual enemies. God was showing the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant Because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. That was John the Baptist's calling. Zechariah is announcing it. But one could say that John's calling actually has become all of our callings. Because he came. The light came. He died. He rose again. And he's coming again. And we live in darkness. So what else should we do than do exactly what John would be called to do? Than to go ahead of the Lord and to announce his coming again to prepare people so that they might be saved, so that they might have light instead of darkness, life instead of death. So I think it raises the question for all of us, what does it look like to wait well in the darkness? I mean, that's really what we're getting at during this season of Advent, is how do we wait well, and not just in the month of December? But all the time, until we go to be with the Lord or he comes again. Ephesians 5, 7 through 10 says this, Therefore, do not become partakers with them. That is those who live in darkness. For at one time you were darkness. That was true of all of us. But now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. I really hope that you feel this sense of urgency, maybe of need, of desire, like seeing darkness for what it is and Wanting as much light in the midst of that as you can see and experience and show. So as we go into this season, we want to wait well. And I'm not going to tell you what that looks like for you. I, I just hope that all of us will prayerfully ask God to show us. What does it look like to wait well for his return as a way of life? Now, very specifically, I mentioned to you we want to give you an opportunity to engage this message, and this passage, and this idea of light in the darkness with prayer. And um, I, I don't know about you, but I, like I, I always can use prayer. I mean, it's always encouraging to have somebody to pray for me. And James uh, told the early church that if you're sick, if you have issues, struggles, whatever those are, bring them to the elders to pray. So we're going to do that this morning, right here, right now. We're going to give you an opportunity to express prayer requests, and we're going to pray for those right now. I want to invite the elders, uh, four of us, to make your way up here. And what we have is a, a number. So if you'll pull out your mobile phone and those who are online or out in the tent, anywhere, you guys can uh, you guys can just line up right here. Um, pull out your phone. And there's a phone number. On, there it is on the screen. 615-205-4367. If you'll just text a brief prayer request, it could be as simple as I lost a job. We've got health issues. Um, I'm discouraged. I'm depressed. I'm anxious. My marriage is struggling. My kids are having a hard time. Whatever it may be, you don't need to give us a ton of detail. You don't even need to give us your name. These are going to be prayed anonymously, so nobody's going to know who's doing what. But we would love for you just to text those prayers. You can even just start right now. Text those to us, and we're just going to pray until we get to the end of our service this morning. And what we want to ask you to do is, while we're praying, we want you to pray with us silently. So as you hear us praying for needs, here's what you can know. There is somebody, either in this room or online or somewhere, that needs someone to pray for them. So you can join with us. And we're going to pray for each other as we enter into this season of Advent. All right? So that's our so what for today is we're just gonna, we're gonna pray and ask God to do something significant. So I'm gonna start we're just gonna make our way through. Um, you guys want to come forward there? There you go. And uh, I'll get us started here. They're coming. What's that? They are. They're coming. That's awesome. All right Lord there is uh, a teacher that's dealing with uh, some rough situations with uh, their students and Lord I know that that classroom can be a tough space and, and especially right now with all of the challenges of COVID and um, quarantines and social distancing and testing and all that Lord, would you give this teacher grace upon grace, and would you uh, grant them favor with their students, and would you make his or her classroom, Lord, would you make that place a place of, as we've talked about this morning, light in the darkness. Thank you, Lord.
1: Lord Jesus, there's someone struggling, they say, with addiction. They say that they are doing exactly what they don't want to do. And Lord, I am so empathetic with that struggle. Lord, we as a people are so, as Monty spoke of this morning, so bent toward finding life in the midst of death. we find trying to find light in the midst of darkness, and that's what addiction is. And so I pray for this person that the gospel and the great love of God and Christ to them would uh, so encourage them that he loves them right in the midst of that addiction but he calls them out of it to himself that you would, he would learn to satisfy himself in you and
2: not things of darkness Lord there's a A request here for anxiety and discouragement. uh, We know that your word encourages us to cast our cares upon you, Lord, to present them before you, and that your peace will be with us. And I can uh, certainly resonate with the idea of anxiety and um, discouragement. And so, Lord, for this request, we ask that you would meet this person, that you would be with them, that um, you might grant them a peace that cannot be described, that um, they might be um, in a place, Lord, where they are walking with you and that they feel your comfort and your proximity to them, that they might know your love and care is very near.
3: Father God, we have someone about to begin cancer treatment this week, Father, and they're asking for strength lord your word encourages us to draw near to your throne of grace that we might receive mercy and and find grace to help us in time of need lord and this is a great great time of need for this person and their family lord we know that you are able to heal lord we know that sickness and brokenness of our body can affect not only us but those around us father so we We do pray for strength, Lord. We also pray for endurance, Lord, for the family, Father. We pray that those closest would be ready, Lord, to um, provide encouragement, Lord, compassion, Father, and whatever the moment calls for, Father. We pray for healing, Lord. Lord, we know that you're able to heal through medicine, Lord, or just through the power of your will, Father.
0: Father, there is a parent, I'm sure there's not just one, there's a parent with a child that is wandering, going their own way, rebellious, disobedient, walking in darkness.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And uh, Lord, I know for a parent, um, there are just few things that are harder. A few things that can be more discouraging. And uh, so, Lord, I pray for this mom or this dad. Uh, Lord, would you uh, make your presence very evident to them? Would you strengthen them? Would you sustain them? Would you give them unique wisdom and insight into their child? And Lord, I pray for specifically for conversations that would be full of grace and truth. That the the truth of the gospel, which is bad news and good news. Lord, I pray that that would be brought to bear into that uh, relationship and into that moment. I pray, Father, for that child that uh, their heart would be tender toward you they would see that you are their only hope and that uh, you love them pray that would be loud and clear for that child
1: Lord Jesus there's uh, as you know there's a person struggling with that that needs emotional and spiritual healing and one of the great things about the gospel is it heals us holistically certainly brings us in relationship with you. But Lord, we all have stories and we have stories that are traumatic and they stunt us emotionally and spiritually. And they—they they, our stories, we have these hurdles that it just seems impossible to get over sometimes. And so I pray specifically for this person. One of the things that's been so helpful to many, including myself, is someone to speak into their lives a mentor to walk with them uh, go back in their story in order to untangle why they are the way they are why they struggle the way they struggle and in doing so Lord you would use that the safety and the care and the wisdom from a mentor to a mentoree to to really uh, see that the gospel brings healing uh, to them emotionally and
2: spiritually. I
1: pray for that person, for that.
2: Lord, I pray for there's a relationship that disagreement occurred between siblings and that can that can cause a lot of pain and that can cause a lot of tension. Lord, um, this person is asking for healing in that relationship. and Lord, we, we come before you and we we, we know that you are, capable of restoring all things uh, we pray Lord for your blessings over these folks that they might be able to um, have a restorative conversation they might be able to seek healing in their family and in their relationship and that you might uh, bring them back together in a in a a stronger way in a way that um, the gospel can be applied directly in this relationship
3: that forgiveness okay. might occur. Lord, there are two requests this morning. Um, it's so beautiful, Father. The, the request is that their family might come to know Jesus, Father. I, hmm. um, as we sang this morning, <clears throat> Lord, um, you are the light of the world that broke through the darkness. And Lord, we... Uh, we've all been broken we all are broken father and god i just pray for these two families lord that that they would look to you lord to restore their brokenness for hope father lord i pray for those that are around them lord that they would be faithful to um, continue to pray to continue to believe lord to continue to encourage and engage and not lose hope lord not lose trust Father, I pray that as our hearts are all full of expectation in this season of Advent, that you might open their heart, Lord, in this season to you and your son.
0: Lord, I see a a prayer request here for revival. (laughs) This person says, begin with me. And Lord, don't we all need that in in some form or fashion? Lord, I pray that you would revive our hearts, that we would hunger and thirst for righteousness, that we would uh, humble ourselves under your mighty hand. Lord, would you give us love for you and for our neighbor like never before? Lord, I pray that your word would have absolute authority in our lives. And Lord, even as we're praying right now, I I ask that you would ignite in us a season of prayer like maybe like we've never seen before. Lord, would your people cry out to you For a a powerful move a powerful work in our midst Lord we uh, ask your Holy Spirit to uh, have his way whatever you please Lord speak to us lead us, guide us, empower us restore us and use us until you return Lord for all those prayer requests that we haven't been able to to pray for this morning. Lord, we we know that you hear those prayers, that you know our needs even before we know them. And we ask you to move on our behalf and to uh, bring light into our darkness for your glory and our good. I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.